Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Thursday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. Well, I just did some quick math, and this is the 90th episode of 2023. No wonder I'm tired. And I just can't thank you all enough for listening to so many episodes and for supporting the podcast like you do. I, I can't even begin to list the things that I have learned over the last 90 episodes this year. I've had incredible guests and gotten to do a lot of good research on news stories and deep dives. And I hope you've learned a few things too. I'd actually love to hear about it if you want to drop me a line on LinkedIn or email. But also, because this year is coming to an end, this is also going to be the last new episode of 2023. We'll be providing some replays over the next three weeks as the year comes to an end of episodes that you know I really think are worth listening to again. Or maybe you didn't catch the first time because it was on a busy week and you get to catch it again. So uh, you can be on the lookout for those and rest assured if there's any big news that happens over the next couple of weeks, I will hop on this microphone and add a bonus episode. But today, you know, I wasn't planning on talking about refund fraud again, because uh, just last week, I talked about how the Department of Justice in the US has now considered it fraud and is starting to prosecute cases and criminals um, and make arrests. But there was a very large story that broke over the weekend, and I received more than a few text messages about it. And it is around refund fraud, but it's a different twist than last week's. And it's actually quite interesting. I just finished reading the 44-page lawsuit that Amazon filed against not only a refund fraud group, but customers of their group, as well as some of the employees at Amazon that were recruited to work for this refund group. So I thought that would be a good idea to go through that today. And there's a lot of little lessons and nuggets involved. And even if you know, you're know you not on the e-commerce side and or in retail and you know refunding is not really your within your purview of fraud that you work on every day, I think you'll find this really fascinating. And there are some takeaways uh, for everyone involved as far as going after criminals. And this is, I think, one of the first, if not the first civil lawsuit I've seen filed against a criminal group uh, or a fraud ring. Um, That doesn't mean it hasn't happened before, but it's just not super common. Typically, uh, companies, if they do investigate transactions and and fraud after they happen, uh, they will work with law enforcement to make arrests. Uh, But as we'll go through the lawsuit, I think it'll become clear on why this was the chosen path. And I think I know that there was more than one uh, goal of this lawsuit. And just based on how much I heard about it. And I know I'm not the average person, but uh, I know for a fact based on uh, some research that I did after the fact that the message has gotten out loud and clear to the refunding community as well. So um, I'll go through that too. But this will be an opportunity for us to go through this lawsuit together. I'm just going to read some of the highlights. Uh, But there's a lot of really interesting tidbits, as I mentioned, Uh, not only about how the refund fraud took place, uh, but also how this lawsuit was put together and some lessons to be learned about some of the more sophisticated methods of refund fraudsters that are happening. And this is primarily around fraud as a service, uh, which is a term I dubbed actually in 2020 because of refund fraud. Because when I looked up Telegram and Discord 
you could hire people to do it for you. And then that started a whole new trend around buy for me and all these other different types of fraud as a service. But refund fraud was the first one I noticed at least where I thought, oh man, this is a new trend because now we have a gig economy for fraud. And when you take away some of those barriers to entry of fraud, then it makes it accessible for anyone. And for the longest time, refund fraud has been a gray area because a lot of people have said, well, it's not fraud because you're not stealing a credit card. Well, uh, case in point, last week's news, as well as this one, that's not the case anymore. And let's be clear, they're not always using their own cards either, but they are using their own information, which is why it can't be detected with pre-transaction fraud detection. Um, It has been tried. If it was possible, I guarantee you that Every company that I know of, every retailer that I know of, and these are all big brands, would have already deployed it. So um, it's something that is, you know, that's, that's why it's happening. It's something that, you know, every retailer I know that if there was an existing tool to be able to identify refund claims fraud before it happened at the time of transaction, before an item was shipped to the customer, they would be using it by now. So uh, it's a challenge, not an impossible challenge, but a challenge for sure. And that's why it's really important to have a multi-pronged approach and not only put all your eggs in one basket. And that is why I really am tipping my hat, if I was wearing a hat, uh, to Amazon right now, because we all know it's a big decision for companies to publicize that they were defrauded. I still do not understand why in-store retail loss prevention is just so common and so accepted by businesses, you know, whether it's to have a metal detector or, you know, tags on items or lots of security cameras or security guards posted at the front of the store, whatever it is, or, you know, the stickers that say we will prosecute shoplifters. All of those things are acceptable in-store But when it comes to online, most companies won't ever want to admit that there's fraud. That's why there's so many people that I know in my circle that I would love to come on the podcast and share what they know and be able to highlight them because they are so smart. But because they work for large brands that don't want to have it known that they have somebody in charge of fraud prevention at their company because they don't want them talking about it they won't be able to come on the podcast. And that's understandable, but that's just one example of the fact that this is really rare. That's why I've had Eric Bowles on the podcast twice now, because he started the post-transaction investigation departments for StubHub as well as Yahoo and AOL. And it was so rare when I met him that there would be a post-transaction investigations department where, and most companies still don't do that, right? It's all about whack-a-mole at the beginning and trying to detect fraud before it happens. But the truth is, is that fraud is always going to happen. So what do we do when it does occur? Where are the consequences, right? Fraudsters might go to the path of least resistance, but they also go where there's no consequences. So with that, let's dive into this lawsuit. Like I said, I at least geeked out over it. I think you guys will too. And I uh, did the work for you as far as highlighting the things that are important and really taking out all of the legalese because I probably read the word therefore about 472 times. <laughs> I won't be including that in this. All right. So this lawsuit was filed December 7th. That was last Thursday in King County, which is uh, the Seattle area, which is where Amazon is located. I'm sure um, that's common knowledge, but just, uh, you know, setting the foundation there. And I, like I mentioned before, they filed a civil suit. This isn't uh, filed by the state or federal courts. Usually it would be, you know, the Department of Justice or the state of Washington or, you know, the United States against these people if they were facing criminal charges. However, they are being sued for damages, which is in the seven figures. So this still has the capability of really tying them up for a long time. And that's not to say that law enforcement won't be following up. There are a lot of details in this uh, filing that I would be surprised if law enforcement didn't follow up and press charges uh, against at least a few of these people that are named. And I mean, by the way, to have 40 people, and it's international, but most of them are in the US, named in a lawsuit that the New York Times picked up, 
I can't, can't imagine how hard of a week those people are having, but I don't have a ton of sympathy. So the suit is filed against three different groups of people. One is defined as the R-E-K-K operator defendants. I'm going to call it REC from now on. REC is the refunding group on Telegram, Discord, Reddit. They're the ones who provided the refunding service. Uh, it, REC was really well known for targeting Amazon and being one of the few refunders who could quote unquote guarantee refunds on Amazon and not just in the US, but in all different countries. Uh, they would list the dollar limits and uh, the different uh, Amazon dot country name, whether it was, you know, dot DE for Germany or dot UK for the UK. And then they would provide any stipulations, right? If it had to be sold by a third party, or it had to be fulfilled by Amazon, or you could only have you know no more than five items, that type of thing. And they would list those out. And they were notorious for uh, bragging about having insiders um, at Amazon. And there's a lot of, I mean, it's been quite the trajectory over the last few years, but when we first started researching refund fraud back in March of 2020, every retailer was, wasn't immune to this, right? Everyone was getting hit. However, Amazon has been getting hit since at least 2017 or 18, uh, when my former podcast partner uh, told me about that. And um, they were calling it Amazon fraud at the time. And so I didn't actually put two and two together until I think maybe April of 2020. And I'm at oh, this is what you were talking about. But I just didn't put two and two together. So it was hitting Amazon for years before expanding into other companies and retailers. So Amazon did have a head start in investigating this, but it still took several years to be able to get this far. So back to the three parties that are being sued. One is the REC operator defendants. Um, however, they have unknown identities. So they listed them as uh, defendants one through 20 with no names, uh, just um, with the last name of Doe. Uh, then there are the REKK, so the REC user defendants, and that's 20 people who are named. Those are people who hired REC to issue refunds or to manipulate and exploit Amazon's customer service and their terms to get a refund for items that were in their possession. And then the last group is um, Amazon insider defendants. They were paid by bribe. Uh, one says that they were threatened. I'll explain that in a little bit, um, but there's no proof of that. And they were actually paid $100 for each time they logged items in as returned into the warehouse, but those items actually weren't returned at all. Uh, that was one of the reasons where there's the secret sauce, so to speak, for REC, uh, because they were very creative. And getting insiders wasn't the only way that they were able to obtain refunds more than anyone else, but I will get into that soon too. There were seven named former Amazon employees, I should say, that were named in this lawsuit as well. If they're employed, I don't know how much longer that will happen. Um, obviously, they wouldn't be employed by Amazon anymore, but um, I think it would be difficult to want to hire somebody who is being sued by their former employer for theft. So like I said, I don't think any of these people who are named are having a good week. So one of the things that Amazon states in the beginning of their suit is that and that I thought was interesting and worth sharing uh, is that in 2022 alone, Amazon claims to have spent $1.2 billion and employed over 15,000 people to fight theft, fraud and abuse across its stores. They then say that they use machine learning models and manual reviewers to prevent fraud before it happens. Um, and then they talk about how they have an entire department of lawyers and former federal investigators, as well as analysts performing post-transaction investigations. They call that department the Customer Protection and Enforcement Team. So CPE for short. I am going to say this until I'm blue in the face. This is absolutely a best practice that I wish more companies would deploy. Uh, the retailers that I know who have just started with one person who kind of started to look up fraud rings and try to tie a few transactions together and, you know, try to go down those rabbit holes and gather any information they can about people that they can then hand over to law enforcement, that quickly becomes a team because they're able to justify it. Not only because they can prosecute cases and hopefully publicize them like Amazon has uh, for their benefit, as well as the benefit of the industry, but also because a lot of times post-transaction investigations departments find things 
when they're looking at all of the pieces of the puzzle together that you're just not going to find when one analyst is looking at one transaction before it's confirmed fraud or one transaction at a time. So they can tie things together and say, hey, here's a whole other piece that you're missing that you can write a rule on or that you can feed into your model. It is just one of those things that I don't understand why more companies don't invest in this. I do understand because it's difficult to tie a direct ROI to it. But uh, if you haven't heard the episodes with Eric Bowles, I highly recommend going back and listening to those. I think the last one was in September. And prior to that, I want to say it was in July of 2022. The episode was titled Bringing Real World Consequences to Cybercrime. But I just, what he built at StubHub especially should be the model for everywhere. And I think the fact that Amazon has found justification to have an entire team, uh, the customer protection and enforcement department, that should say everything you need to know. If they find it relevant and there's an ROI for them, and we all know that they are very strategic in where they spend dollars, $1.2 billion to be exact, then, well, not just on that team, just in general <laughs> to fight fraud, then that should you know tell you all you need to know about the importance. Now, I wish that they were a little more specific on what that $1.2 billion was, I mean, and what those 15,000 people do to fight theft, fraud and abuse across its stores. I mean, I'd imagine it's engineers, it's analysts, it's, you know, all the different tiers. And I know that their TRMS, their transaction risk monitoring um, support team is large and international. But I also don't know if that $1.2 billion is, includes losses due to theft or it does say that that's how much they spent to fight fraud and theft. So I would love to know, of course, would love to know what, uh, you know, how much money they stopped and prevented in fraud uh, with that investment, as well as what makes that up. But I don't think, uh, well, if I did know, it's not something I could share publicly. The reason why I'm sharing any of this is because it's in public documentation. It's in a public lawsuit. And they were very careful. I am, I'm 99% sure that lots of lawyers read through this, the PR department, the comms department, everyone read through this a million times. So these are things that they were comfortable sharing publicly. And I am respecting that and not going to share anything beyond that, that I may or, or may not know. So um, within this document, they provided an investigative trail, including pinned posts on Telegram where rec admins admit that they know it's fraud. Uh, so I'm going to read one of the posts that rec refund service posted and, and pinned up on their Telegram site so that whenever anyone visited, they saw this at the top. And it is definitely an advertisement for their services. Uh, but it says rec refunding services has been successfully providing refund services to its customers for many years. Actually, they started in uh, December of 2021. So not that long ago, uh, and ensures maximum security and anonymity. Only I at Rex have access to customer data. Even my support does not have access to your personal information. Oh, so he's secure. That's great. I do not offer risky stores or anything that could put our customer at risk. I am here for long-term cooperation. I think what he means, risky stores or anything that could put his customer at risk, means companies that would prosecute? I don't know. A fraudster's idea of risk is always going to be different than our idea of risk, so it's hard to know. All information is fully encrypted and upon payment of a service fee, it is completely removed without the possibility of recovering it. Okay, so we're taking your word for it. And then this last line is what shows that they know that it's illegal. They say, choose a refunder responsibly as it is not legal. But I can personally say for myself that I reduce the risk for my clients to zero. That's not true if at least 20 of your clients are named in this lawsuit. But at the time that they wrote that, they sure believed it. Rec also bragged about having over 30,000 followers on Telegram. Um, they had a lot of followers on Reddit and in other groups as well. And they said that they had did over 100,000 total number of refund orders. If they started in December of 2021, that means that, you know, in just two years, they committed refund fraud over 100,000 times. At least that's what they're claiming, but 
that's significant. Even if it's half of that, it's significant. Especially if you think that each, if you know that each order represents thousands of dollars, sometimes tens of thousands. They also provide some of the store lists and by country, um, the store list naming Amazon specifically, and then each country, like I mentioned earlier, um, the refunders request form, like they just really dog their I's and cross their T's as far as providing a trail of examples and proof of why they're filing this lawsuit. So after providing all that, they then go on to explain how this service works. And I'll read it directly from the lawsuit. Once REC is engaged, REC contacts users to arrange for 50% of the service fee to be paid in advance. REC then employs one of the following fraudulent measures to obtain refunds for their users. A. Social engineering. Users provide their Amazon login credentials to REC and REC then contacts Amazon customer service posing as the user. REC provides false information to manipulate the customer service associate to grant their users a refund. So they're pretending to be the person who ordered the item and their social engineering, the customer service agent, either by saying the item didn't arrive or it arrived broken. These are all things I've talked about on past episodes about refund fraud. B, Amazon systems manipulation. REC has gained unauthorized access to Amazon systems used in the genuine workflow to return and refund products. Among other tactics, REC has sent or caused to be sent phishing messages to Amazon employees to obtain Amazon credentials. Through this unlawful access, REC has processed fraudulent refunds. So they've processed fraudulent refunds on behalf of Amazon by gaining unauthorized access to Amazon systems that issue refunds. That's pretty significant. And then the last way that they uh, say that they committed refund fraud was through insider bribery. REC identifies and recruits Amazon employees responsible for approving genuine returns. REC then bribes these employees to falsely approve unreturned orders as returned. They also provide, a four, I guess I said three, but there were there are four different ways. Uh, the last one is materially different returns. This is stated in a different way than I've heard it stated, but this is definitely something that other retailers experience all the time. REC requests refunds for products and REC or its users return packages to Amazon that are empty or contain low value items, different than the original product for which the users were issued refunds. These fake returns are designed to deceive Amazon systems into believing the defendants returned the correct item. I think I've mentioned this before, but when I did a refund uh, training for, I think it was 25 large retailers, and this was back in 2021 when it was getting really big, and just to kind of share with retailers what was happening and all that I had found out in my deep dives, uh, different telegram groups and other infiltrating refund groups and other things like that. The icebreaker that I asked everyone was, what is the weirdest thing that has been sent to your company in place of an item that was supposed to be returned? Uh, and it's been everything from pinata candy to a can of peas. Uh, the other day, a retailer told me that they received Little Debbie's cakes, garbage, uh, what anything. So if they know that the retailer is looking at the weight that's going back, then they might you know, make sure that that weight is pretty close, if not exactly the same as the product when it was going from the retailer to the customer. So in some cases, we've seen dry ice be shipped because at the time that it is sent to the carrier and the weight is logged, it can be exact. But then by the time it gets to the warehouse, oftentimes the box is soggy and empty. So, you know, they're nothing but if not creative. So moving on, uh, one of the things that Amazon did to kind of identify uh, what was going on, and this is something that I'm familiar with, a couple of other companies doing this as well, is that they needed to verify the fraudulent services. So just because a company, or I use the term company loosely, just because a refunding group is advertising that they provide services, if you're going to take legal action, you need to verify that that's actually what they're doing. So in this section, they say Amazon on verification of Rex fraudulent services. An investigator working for Amazon's outside counsel placed an order on Amazon.com for a 2021 Apple, you know, 12.9 inch iPad Pro Wi-Fi, you know, the whole thing. Oh, and it was in color space gray, if that's important to you, uh, to be shipped to an address in the US. 
Amazon charged the investigator $2,066.99, including fees and taxes, and provided the investigator with an order number and UPS tracking number. So exactly what Amazon provides all of their customers. Soon after, the investigator navigated to Rex's Telegram channel and completed Rex's service request form, which included providing Rex with the order, tracking number, and a brief statement that the product had not yet been received. So in some cases, refunders will tell you that you aren't able, they won't take your claim until you've already received the item. But in other cases, and I'm not going to give it away right this minute, they want you to have the item still be in transit so they can do the point of compromise there. So through Telegram, Rec responded stating that the fees were 25% Bitcoin or 30% PayPal. So half 15% of PayPal upfront is 309. Uh, the investigator paid 309 to Rack via PayPal and received a confirmation from PayPal that the payment went to an account registered to an email. And then they actually provide the email address it's registered to. Um, and they provide a partial screenshot as well. The investigator received further information from PayPal's transaction details, description for the transaction, and it says the name of the person um, on the account. And interestingly enough, the Name of the person does not match the name of the person in the email. These are all things that people in fraud are going to notice right away. After payment, REC stated that the refund would be issued in 48 to 72 hours. The investigator then noted that Amazon.com had issued a refund in the amount of $2,066.99 and provided a statement return in transit. A partial screenshot of the investigator's Amazon account is provided below. So it just says, that the item is returned in transit, but the item hadn't actually arrived to the investigator yet. So Amazon reviewed the shipment tracking data associated with the investigator's order ID and the UPS tracking number. The UPS tracking data showed indications of manipulation. The UPS data indicated that the package was being returned to sender because a customer in you know, Georgia, so, you know, the state of Georgia in the US had refused delivery for the package, even though the package was never in Georgia, and the investigator never refused delivery. So based on the tracking information that they then provide below, the investigator was in Idaho. Uh, but what's happened in the tracking information is it said it was delivered to a home in Roswell, Georgia, and that was refused shipment, and it was going back to Amazon. So after Amazon had issued a refund for the purportedly undeliverable package, the investigator received the package at the address, at the intended address, and UPS shipping data was updated to reflect the delivery. The shipping tracking data is provided below. So I'm not going to go through every single thing, but like I said, it looks like it left the warehouse. It looks like it went to Roswell, Georgia. It was... You know, delivery was refused by the customer and the package is being held by the carrier. Please contact the carrier if you would still like to receive this package. Otherwise, it'll be returned to Amazon. So that's a note from the carrier. Then it says package is returning to seller because recipient did not accept it. So at that point, the refunder contacted Amazon customer service and said, hey, I refused the delivery. Can't you see it's back on its way back to you? And they said, yep, absolutely. We'll issue you a refund. Well, Two days later, the package was out for delivery in Idaho and it was delivered. Typically, and I'm not going to say this is 100% what happened here, but I've talked about this before when I did an episode on insiders. Amazon and other retailers are not the only ones that have insiders. In fact, the most valuable insiders for refunders are at the carrier. They're people who are able to manipulate those systems and be able to make it look like the package was lost in transit or it was returned to sender when it wasn't. Uh, and that is unfortunately something that has been seen for at least the last year. Uh, and we can only speculate that access is done either through phishing campaigns or credential stuffing or through recruiting insiders, just like as Amazon is alleging here. That's all I can really say. And it's all alleged, but uh, that is what, you know, best guesses and guesstimates would, uh, would say happened. If you're a regular listener of Fraudology, you've heard me talk about SPEC. Not only does their no-code platform let you instantly assemble the fraud solutions that you need to stay ahead of bad actors, but SPEC's long list of integrations is always growing, empowering you to orchestrate your data to create customized customer journeys. Spec lets you stay ahead of fraud while enabling great customer experiences for your legitimate users. Request your personalized demo of Spec's Trust Cloud today at specprotected.com. That's www.specprotected.com. Or you can visit their website by clicking the link in today's show notes. 
So then they talk about the user defendants. Well, then they talk about Bitcoin, actually, and how the remaining fee was paid in Bitcoin once the investigator received the item. Uh, and they provide the address as well as uh, the next wallet that it was transferred to. And then they talk about how uh, Rec requested a vouch, which is basically like a review for the service. Now they talk about uh, the Rec user defendant's role in the fraudulent scheme. So each of the 20 known Rec user defendants played a critical role in conspiring to defraud Amazon. Each defendant sought out REC based on its extensive web presence, promoting its fraudulent conduct, engaged and conspired with REC for the purposes of obtaining one or more free products from Amazon. And then they actively promoted REC's success online to expand the scheme's reach. The REC user defendants each engaged in the following conduct in furtherance of their role in the fraudulent scheme. A, they each subscribe to or monitor REC's online presence, including the REC Telegram channel, and therefore each saw REC's clear statements that it was engaged in a fraudulent refund scheme. At least they're assuming that they did. And since it was pinned, you can assume that that's probably the case or at least they should have read it. B, they each placed one or more orders from Amazon for products with the intent to commit refund fraud using Rex refund fraud services. C, conspiring with Rec, they requested and received refunds from Amazon for those products using one of Rec's fraudulent methods described above. Specific examples of each defendant's fraudulent activity in connection with Rec is detailed in Exhibit A to this complaint and incorporated within the allegations of this complaint. So there's a whole other list of each defendant's rules, but they did provide a couple of examples that I'll read in just a minute. D, they each also obtained other fraudulent concessions from Amazon without the assistance of REC. Each fraudulent concession was obtained through material misstatements or omissions to Amazon that resulted in each defendant obtaining free products from Amazon. So it sounds like they hired REC, but they also did it themselves too. Uh, That's probably how they got on this list because we all know that there are more than 20 people, unfortunately, who hired any refund service, but especially REC, to commit this type of fraud. So the fact that these 20 were named, you know, they had to have extensive, extensive proof as well as, you know, it looks like they're saying, well, they hired someone and they did it themselves. So they're on notice. Um, and then E, they each agreed to the Amazon uh, terms of service. They call it their COU, and I can't remember what that stands for, but it's basically their terms of service, which provides that anyone shopping at Amazon, one, may not misuse the Amazon services, and two, may use those services only as permitted by law, and three, agrees to accept responsibility for all activities that occur under their account or password. F, they each provided one or more vouches for Rex fraudulent refund service that REC used to solicit new members to join the conspiracy to expand its fraudulent activity. There's a couple of examples here. Uh, I'm going to read one of them here. Uh, Defendant Jenny Tran placed an Amazon order for two Apple MacBook Air laptops over the internet, causing the products to be shipped via Amazon Logistics. After receiving the products, Jenny Tran engaged REC to receive a fraudulent refund of the products. REC and Tran falsely claimed that the products were never received, and they even provided a false police report to show that the product was not received. As a result, Tran and REC stole two MacBook laptops, and REC received hundreds of dollars for facilitating the fraud. And then they move on to the third group that is being sued in this lawsuit. It's quite an extensive lawsuit. Like I said, there's 44 pages. I may be reading like going to be reading a total of 10 to you possibly, but these are all the highlights. Uh, You're welcome to read the lawsuit. I'm going to include a link to Frank McKenna's article uh, based on this lawsuit on Frank on fraud. And he included uh, a downloadable version of the lawsuit at the bottom of the article. So if you want to read through it, you want to provide it to leadership, I'll explain how I would use it if I were in your shoes. If I was at a retailer that is being hit with refund fraud, I'll uh, share that with you at the end of this. Okay, so this is how they explain and describe the insiders. And I think that this is very helpful to any type of company because we know that it's not just retailers who are having insiders being recruited. I've shared this uh, on previous podcasts that was dedicated to insiders or innies as they're called for short within the criminal realm. But we know that innies are recruited, obviously, at shipping carriers, as well as travel companies, airlines, telcos, big time for SIM swapping. 
lots of different places. So at banks as well um, as fintechs and crypto companies. So I think this is worth listening to for any type of company because this is a real threat to your business more than it ever has been before. And with the economy the way it is, with most salaries being stagnant, unfortunately, and they're often targeting people that are, you know, lower level in the company, uh, you know, maybe they have been there six months, you know, long enough to do some damage, but uh, not too long that they're loyal to the company. That's a little something I picked up from Robert Kerbeck the last time he was here talking about social engineering and how he would target employees to social engineer. So let's dive into this. The Amazon Insider defendant's role in the fraudulent scheme. Rec identifies and recruits Amazon employees to join its scheme. Rec recruits these insiders on Reddit, LinkedIn, or directly on its Telegram channel. The following is a post from the Telegram channel recruiting Amazon insiders. So actually doesn't say just for Amazon. So I'm going to read it because I think it's fascinating for anyone really. Rex Refunding Services is actively looking for talented individuals or services to collaborate with. If you have special knowledge, ability, or want to increase sales in your service, fill in the applicant form. Examples below. Click here to fill out the applicant form. Then it goes to a Google form. Uh, and then here are uh, some of the thing qualifications that they're looking for. You know, or you yourself are an insider of a store or shipping company. You specialize in food and groceries refunds. You do buy for you. You specialize in hotel and flight refunds, also car rentals. You know any exploit from which everyone can earn money. And or you know a private refunding store or method. Or you just know anything that can benefit my clients. I look very carefully when choosing who will work with my service and measure all existing risks. So if you are a time waster or have a bad reputation, skip this post. And that is how fraudsters uh, post a job description. All right. So moving on in the complaint as set forth in the parties section above the Amazon insider defendants consist of the following seven individuals. I won't read their names. Um, I'd probably butcher a couple of them anyway, and I wouldn't want to do that. The Amazon Insider defendants were formerly Amazon employees responsible for approving product returns. Each worked in Amazon's operations organization, which is responsible for handling product returns. Together, the seven Amazon Insider defendants provided over $500,000 worth of fraudulent returns to REC and its users. The Amazon Insider defendants, in exchange for payments, conspired and acted in concert with the REC operator defendants to approve fraudulent product returns. Detailed allegations as to the conduct of each Amazon insider defendant are contained in Exhibit B and incorporated within the allegations of this complaint. So there's a whole separate exhibit with lists of each insider, but here um, are a couple of examples. This first one, I'm just going to say Ms. Alford. I'm not sure how to say her name and I don't want to butcher it. Um, as someone with a unique name myself, I try to respect that. So Ms. Alford began her employment with Amazon as a fulfillment center associate in Chattanooga, Tennessee in January of 2023. REC recruited Alford to facilitate returns fraud and Alford agreed to approve customer returns for products that were not in fact returned. The following are partial screenshots of two of Alford's SMS conversations with REC. My guess is that uh, she provided these after she was confronted by internal uh, security or internal audit, but that is strictly just a guess of how Amazon got a hold of these. So the first text says, um, do you work at Kretz, which I think is the name of the fulfillment center? And Ms. Alford replies, maybe, who this? And then uh, Rec responds, I'll just get straight to the point. There is this thing I have where people pay me to obtain refunds for them. And I do this by scanning RMAs as received and sellable. So it's return merchandise. So like the item is never returned, but a refund is issued. I actually work with two other people at Kretz. We've been doing it for around three months now. I pay them 3K for 30 RMA scans. I pay them in crypto or Zelle. They usually do 30 scans per day each shift. So they're making three grand a day doing this. That's a lot more than they're paid at the fulfillment center to scan in refunds all day or return merchandise all day. So my offer to you is the same. 3,000 for 30 scans or 100 per scan, you choose to do more or less. If you have questions, you can let me know. And the reply is, wait, huh? With like laughing emojis. And then she also said, if you know them, 
then how much jail time I'll get if I get caught. Ha ha. And Rec writes back, yeah, I have to be LOL. Some nights I get no sleep because my ass is working opposite shifts. So maybe there was more that was said there. I don't know. LOL, you won't get caught. It's been literally three months with my other two guys. And Miss Alford wrote back, and they work at my Amazon or different ones? And Rec replies, I'd prefer not to share that to keep my ass safe. Between February and May of 2023, Alfred fraudulently approved product returns for 76 orders at Rec's request. So that's $7,600 that she was paid, causing Amazon to refund over $100,000 to Rec users. Oh, I guess it was less than that. Rec paid Alfred a total of $3,500 for her participation in the fraudulent scheme. One such order that Alfred fraudulently approved as returned was that of rec user defendant. And then it's one of the names of the defendants that was a user. Um, Another example, Noah Page began his employment with Amazon as a fulfillment center associate in Chattanooga, Tennessee, also in January of 2023. Rec recruited Page to facilitate refunds fraud and Page agreed to approve customer returns for products that were not in fact returned. Below is a screenshot of the initial exchange between Rec and Page. So it's pretty much exactly the same thing that was said uh, before. Although at that time he was offering $4,000 for 30 scans. Oh, I forgot to mention that Miss Alford was uh, interviewed by the New York Times for their article. And she said that she was threatened and that uh, Rec actually had names of her family members and her address. And so she felt like she had to do it. But they also you know, noted that there's no proof of that in the lawsuit. So if she provided Amazon with screenshots of those text messages, those aren't ones that they're including. And I would imagine if she were threatened that they would maybe show a little leniency. So I don't know. That's just not proven. So I just wanted to make that note. Back to Mr. Page. He fraudulently approved product returns for 56 orders, causing Amazon to refund over $75,000 to rec users. On information and belief, Rec paid Page more than $5,000 for his participation in the fraudulent scheme. If you ask me, it's definitely not worth it, though, because these people are now named and they are being held liable for hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, in this lawsuit. So then they talk about Amazon's intellectual property and how their logos and all of that were used uh, without their permission in various Telegram posts. I've actually always wondered that because there's a different type of fraud that has been able to be mitigated pretty well. And that's on triangulation websites because oftentimes the triangulation websites are scraping photographs and logos and copyrighted item descriptions from legitimate websites and retailers and then posting it as their own and selling those items for significantly cheaper than cost because they're buying them with stolen credit cards. And the reason why so many of those websites have been shut down is because of copyright laws. It hasn't necessarily been because they're selling fraudulent products, but because they are using copyrighted photography and verbiage, you know, item descriptions on these, you know, pop up websites, so to speak. So I've kind of wondered that as far as Telegram goes, because logos are used, you know, all the time. And uh, that's how they advertise, right? Is, hey, do you want to, you know, shop at this company, but you don't have the money? Well, here, here's how you can do it. And they are using that brand reputation and that, you know, brand logo recognition to be able to advertise their services. So that is one of uh, five or six causes of action. So these are laws that uh, Amazon is saying that these people have broken. They've listed civil conspiracy, fraudulent misrepresentation, negligent representation, conversion, unjust enrichment, breach of contract, and trademark infringement. So those are all the things that they're saying that they did to warrant this lawsuit, which I thought was, you know, important. And then um, the prayer for relief is what, you know, Amazon is requesting based on this lawsuit. And, you know, they're taking these people to court and this is what they're asking for. You know, lots of, it's a long list of things. I'm not going to list out all of them, but some of them is, you know, from using Amazon logos, from ever naming them, from ever using their website again, from conspiring against them. Um, And they're seeking restitution for all lost damages, as well as legal fees, etc. 
And since you know, REC and the people who work for them are currently unnamed, it's really going to be the user defendants and the Amazon insider defendants who will probably have to foot the bill. And like I said, right now they're not facing jail time because this lawsuit is filed civilly by Amazon in the US, but that could change at any time. And most of the customers who hired the REC refund service are in the US, but a few are scattered internationally. And then all seven Amazon employees are in the US as well. So the likelihood of them all going to court is pretty high. So here is, you know, the fallout of all of this. And um, this is something that actually, uh, when Frank wrote his article, REC was still going strong. Um, on Telegram and still advertising their services on Amazon. But when I looked at it, just, uh, you know, I think it was maybe three days after the New York Times post. This is what, uh, so Rex took down every single post on their site and closed it down, but just had one single uh, post or letter to uh, people who were visiting his page. This was actually posted on December 8th. So I guess just the day after the lawsuit was filed. Uh, this is posted by Rex Service. In light of recent events and versus security reasons, all posts have been removed. Please be assured that this measure has been taken to ensure the safety and privacy of our users. Rest assured, necessary people will be contacted shortly. At this time, we would like to inform you that no services will be offered. Your patience and understanding during this period are highly valued. If you have any specific concerns or inquiries, please feel free to reach out to us directly. Rex. So I would say that, you know, if Amazon's intention of filing that lawsuit was to get this service to shut itself down and stop offering refunding services, they were successful. I personally am speculating this, but I think that, you know, whenever a company and it's few and far between, it's never as much as I think it should be. Whenever a company goes public with something like this, they have more than one goal. Their you know, number one goal is often not to recover all of the funds while they will certainly pursue them, but it's really to stop them from happening again. And word got out real fast around refunding groups. It spread like wildfire about the article and everyone's running scared. They're saying, hey, don't hit up Amazon now they're prosecuting or, you know, they're filing lawsuits. They're tracking their customers. They're, you know, charging or there's accusing them of fraud and misrepresentation and all these things like don't mess with them, basically. And then I did some searches, you know, I follow quite a few refunding services on Telegram myself, I'm under an alias. And I looked for posts about Amazon in the refunding groups. And all I could find over the last few days were a couple posts about Amazon gift cards that had been stolen, and maybe a, a couple of logins. That was it, which is significant because if I searched Amazon a week ago in those Telegram groups, it would just have been plastered. So like I said, word has gotten out. So here are the takeaways. You know, obviously some of the findings of the lawsuit are kind of fascinating and interesting to hear behind the scenes. And it's not common or often that companies are open publicly anyway with anyone other than their peers about the steps that they've taken, about the exact types of fraud that occur and how it happens. And so I thought that's why I thought it was worth reading through some of those parts. I think it's important to notice that, you know, Amazon is not taking this line down. Not only are they pursuing these 60 people, I mean, 20 of them are unnamed, but uh, they sent a giant message to refunders targeting them that they will investigate and go after them. And I think a lot of them are really worried that they're next, especially because a lot of, you know, consumers or customers of refund groups at first, at least for the first order that they do against a particular retailer, will use their real information. And then oftentimes they're shipping to their house or a family member's house that could be tied back to them if they're doing it again and again and again. These are not smart criminals necessarily, and this isn't sophisticated fraud. It's taking advantage of silos within companies. It's taking advantage of processes that really don't have defenses around them, but it's not sophisticated. So, you know, if you see six transactions that are all linked to each other and you go and look at the first one that committed refund fraud, chances are that's going to be their real name and their real information. Or maybe they'll forget, they'll try to do everything masked, but they'll accidentally put in their phone number or their email address, or they'll use the same device as they do with their usual Amazon account. Whatever they're doing, there are ways to track them. And in the cases of the people who are being charged in this lawsuit or named in this lawsuit, they not only place these orders and all that, they also 
placed other orders and got items for free from Amazon in other ways. Maybe it was through chargebacks. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was still through refund fraud. They didn't really say, but they also all wrote vouchers for rec refund service. Clearly, Amazon was able to tie those, whether they use the same username as in their email or who knows what they used. But you know, I think that this shows refunders that they can be caught. And that's why I think this is such a big story. I wish it wasn't. I wish this happened so often that this wasn't groundbreaking, but we are not there yet. I will be happy when and if we are. Um, And then while there are a couple of tools recently created to help retailers identify fraudulent refund claims, versus, you know, legitimate customer claims, um, like the one I announced on the episode with Patrick Chen at the end of September. Uh, This is really the only way to actually make the attempt stop. Filing lawsuits, working with law enforcement, prosecuting, and then publicizing that prosecution or those lawsuits. Those are the only ways to actually get it to stop. You can, you know, deploy newer technology that is you know, really proven useful to identify fraudulent claims when they're being made, but that's about it. And so I really hope uh, that, you know, more companies start to take Amazon's lead. Um, And then finally, one of the outcomes is that refunders that have been targeting Amazon will start hitting other retailers even harder than they have been. Because if you figure that maybe even 30% of all refund attempts were hitting Amazon. Well, now where are those 30% going to go? They're not just going to evaporate. They're going to trickle down and target more retailers that are underneath Amazon that aren't doing those things. Um, You know, it just really leads me to say again that fraud doesn't just go to the path of least resistance. It also goes where there are the least consequences. And oftentimes there are no consequences, or at least they don't know about them. So they're going to go full steam ahead. A couple of things that you can do with this that I would recommend if you are a retailer experiencing refund fraud, consider sending the New York Times article to your leadership or uh, providing a summary of it with a link to it and just saying, hey, you know, this shows that we're not alone. Amazon is you know, experiencing this too. And here's how they're handling it. I think we could take a page from their book. Propose post-transaction investigations like at Amazon. I cannot stress that enough. Uh, you will thank me later, I promise. Uh, and then, you know, use Amazon as an example to follow, to prosecute, sue, and publicize the consequences. Share with leadership. This is the only way we can truly get this to stop. Uh, we need to publicize it. We need to make it loud. I understand that that makes communications teams really nervous, but it actually shows that you're standing up for your customers. It actually shows that you're trying to protect your customers and your marketplace or your e-commerce retail site from being taken advantage of because we all know that losses are going to get trickled down into pricing eventually. And so it actually is really good publicity. It's just a different way for marketers or communications people or PR people to think and not all of them think that way. And then, you know, last week I mentioned that the Department of Justice is prosecuting. So, you know, they should be willing to take on more cases as well. Now that they've set precedent and said, yes, you know, committing refund claims fraud is fraud and we will prosecute. That means that they're willing to take on more cases. So take advantage of that. All right, guys, somehow I filled up almost an hour uh, with that, but I hope that you enjoyed uh, reading along with me or listening along with me on that. Uh, like I said, it's so rare for a retailer or any entity to publicize a lot of this information that I thought it was worth reading through the highlights. And I really appreciate Frank McKenna again for putting together a really good high level article uh, and for including the lawsuit documentation so I could uh, read some of the examples to you because I do find them fascinating on so many levels. And I hope you do too. Well, with that, I'm going to sign off for 2023. That feels so weird to say. Uh, But like I said, if there's any big fraud news, I will jump on with a bonus episode. I really hope you enjoy the replays over the next couple weeks. And I really hope that you have a great rest of this year. And I will talk to you again soon in the new year. Thank you 
again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.